our congregation. Would you take a moment, stand, greet one another, introduce yourself to somebody you don't know, shake a hand, give a holy handshake or high five this morning. All right, family, it's good to be with you this morning. My name's Jay. If you're new or newer here to New Life Downtown, I want to say welcome. I would love for you to stop by the Welcome Center on your way out. Let us know you're new. Um, We have a gift for you that we'd love to get to you. And also, after this service, uh, over at the Commons, which if you go a block north and a block west, Katie Corner from the uh, Wild Goose, we're going to have New Life next it's our version of a newcomer's lunch. We'd love to host you. If you've never been to New Life Next, even if you've been around for a while, we'd love to host you. It's a good opportunity to hear uh, from some of the pastors about New Life downtown, our history, our vision, all of that, and ask all sorts of tough questions. Um, also, if you'd like to stay connected with anything we're doing as a congregation, please follow us on social media. Uh, we are looking to start in the near future, celebrate recovery at New Life Downtown. Uh, Pastor Ken is, yes, a lot of you clapping. Uh, this announcement's for you. There's an interest meeting next week. So if you would like to get involved with helping with CR, uh, Pastor Ken is heading that up. It'll be here in the mini auditorium, which is kind of over by the restrooms, uh, both services at 9 and 11 next week. So if you're interested in that, come check that out. Um, Also, we are starting Alpha next week, uh, or no, sorry, a week from this Tuesday, however you interpret next week, a week from this Tuesday, uh, September 20th, we are starting Alpha. Um, And if you don't know what Alpha is, if you haven't been around or or heard us talk about Alpha, Alpha is basically an eight-week course. We encourage any of you to come and bring a friend with you um, who may be interested in talking about things of faith or life or meaning or anything like that around a good meal and with others and making friends along the way. Um, But instead of me telling you what Alpha is, we have started doing uh, kind of a post-Alpha survey at the end of every Alpha course um, so I could get some written testimonies of of people who've actually gone through the course and what they say about it. So let me just read to you a couple of those. This uh, one guy said, uh, "If how would you describe Alpha to someone who's never heard of it? He said, uh, it's what a Bible study always wishes it could be. Take that for what it's worth or what that what he's trying to mean by that. Another girl said, uh, in how you would describe Alpha to someone else, she said, it's like youth group, but for adults. And I, I imagine that some of you in the room are like, sweet, that sounds fun. And some of you are like, oh, okay, never mind. I don't want to go to Alpha. But she actually, uh, she meant it in a good way. So it's actually a fun thing. It's a, it's a good thing. Um, But on a more serious note, um, people who've gone through Alpha and the effects that Alpha is having on them. um, So this is from someone who... um 
Uh, let's see, this is from someone who uh, came in in week one, told the group that they were an atheist, and then when they left Alpha, they marked that they uh, gave their life to Christ. And this is what they said. Um, How has Alpha impacted your life? They said, this may be the first small group where I felt totally comfortable actually challenging Christianity without there being any pushback. You are doing God's work, is what they said. Um, Another person who... uh, almost as powerful as testimonies of people who come uh, to faith through Alpha, but also uh, are stories and testimonies of people who shared, who come to Alpha and come the entire time and love Alpha, but they never actually uh, give their life to Jesus, and they're still not um, Christians, but their testimonies uh, are powerful. So this is from a gal who came, uh, did not give her life to Jesus, but she said, um, I felt, uh, when asked, how did Alpha impact your life? She said, I feel more welcomed into Christianity and safe to explore and question than I ever did before. Another guy, uh, this guy did not come to faith through Alpha, but he said, um, the experience has been thought-provoking and it's helped me challenge feelings that I'd rather not have and maybe uh, turn my heart a little bit more towards Christ. Um, so Alpha, that's right, Alpha has been amazing. The Lord has been using Alpha in our congregation, and if you would like to come, uh, I encourage you to scan the QR code, pick up a card in the lobby. It's going to start September 20th at the Commons, uh, and bring someone with you. Just say, hey, would you like to try this Alpha thing uh, out with me? And you can come week one. If you hate it, you never have to come back. Uh, But if you like it, you can keep coming. Um, We're going to take our offering now. So if you would like to give an offering this morning, uh, there are four ways to do that. One is you can give through the mobile app. Uh, Two is you can give online. Uh, If you're in the room here, you can give in the box, which is in the lobby just outside these doors. And if you're watching online, you can mail in your offering to um, the address on the screen. Um, We are also taking a special offering to fund our Alpha. So um, if you would like to give towards Alpha, this is how we are paying for all these meals and for these courses to happen each year, uh, each each, uh, session. Uh, the third one coming up here soon. Um, if you'd like to give to that, in the drop-down menu, there is a uh, designated giving towards that. It says New Life Downtown Alpha Fund. You can give that. Or if you're dropping a check, you can just write New Life Downtown Alpha on it, and it'll go to the right spot. Uh, we are trying to raise about $35,000. We're about two-thirds away to our goal, and that funds our alphas, and we're also funding three alphas for our friends in Albania who are running alpha courses. So that funds six alphas around the world, which is amazing. So thank you to all who's given. Now, I've done a lot of talking. We're going to turn our attention to the scriptures, and uh, Pam, go ahead and take it away. Good morning. My name is Pam. The Old Testament reading is found in Nehemiah, chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. Then there was a great protest of the people and their wives against their fellow Jews. Some said, with our sons and daughters, we are many, and we all need grain to eat and stay alive. Others said, we have to mortgage our fields, our vineyards, and our houses in order to get grain during the famine. Still others said, we have to borrow money against our fields and vineyards in order to pay the king's tax. We are of the same flesh and blood as our kin, and our children are the same as theirs. Yet we are just about to force our sons and daughters into slavery, and some of our daughters are already slaves. There is nothing we can do since our fields and vineyards now belong to others. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Thank you. My name is Eric. The New Testament reading is found in the book of 1 John, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. This is how we know love. Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. But if someone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but refuses to help, how can the love of God dwell in a person like that? The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Randy Lynn. Thank you for standing for the gospel reading found in Luke 7, Luke 4, verse 17 through 19. 
The synagogue assistant gave him the scroll from the prophet Isaiah. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The gospel of the Lord. Please remain standing with me as we pray today. Uh, Today, as you know, is September 11th. So this is a day that uh, sits heavy on our collective consciousness as a a nation, as we think about the lives that were lost uh, on 9-11 and all the lives that have been impacted uh, in the conflicts that have ensued uh, since that day. Many of you uh, have had your lives changed in some way. Maybe uh, you knew someone that was present in New York on 9-11, uh, or maybe you yourself uh, ended up in Afghanistan or in Iraq in the conflicts that happened afterwards, and your life has been changed in a, in a significant way. We want to pray today. We also know that today is a day of mourning uh, across the pond for our friends in the United Kingdom as they mourn the death of the Queen, uh, which has raised all kinds of conversations for people. There are those that are are mourning the loss of, of, of a beloved person in their lives, uh, someone who represented the Christian faith in some really unique and powerful ways in our day, and others are wrestling with the ongoing impact of, uh, in, the, in the history of uh, empire and monarchy and the ways that that either positively or negatively impacted their lives and their nations around the world. And so in the midst of all of that, there's lots that we hold coming in to a room. Uh, that's what's happening all around us, not to mention all the things that are happening inside of us. But the reason we gather together every single week is to be reminded that in the midst of everything that's happening globally and the midst of everything that's happening personally, we know the one who holds all things together, that we come to Jesus. And we pray that Jesus would be near, near to those who are mourning near to those who are grieving, near to those who uh, are wrestling with hard concepts and ideas, those that are speaking out and speaking up, and those that are learning to listen, and, and everyone along the spectrum, we know the one true thing is that we all need Jesus to meet us in the place that we're in. And so let's pray this morning, Jesus, we pray for all of those whose lives have been altered by 9-11, for all of those who are mourning the loss of their queen, all those who are mourning the historic impacts of uh, life in this world and decisions that have been made and the way that has um, upset and unraveled things that people hold dear. We pray for everyone that is holding even today personally things that are disorienting, that are confusing, that feel conflicted, that are griefs and sorrows, even in the midst of joys. Would you help all of us to know the Jesus who's near, the Jesus who holds all things together, and the Jesus who will one day come and wipe away every tear from our eye and set every wrong right again. We come to you and ask that you would speak to us through your scriptures today. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray and all God's people said, amen, amen. You may be seated. There's two important things that you should know about me. The first is I'm a really heavy sleeper. Uh, Sometimes it takes me a while to go to sleep, but once I'm asleep, I'm like really asleep. I'm the guy that falls asleep on the airplane before takeoff and wakes up after landing. You know, with my mouth open, drooling out of the side of my mouth, I sleep that hard. When I was right after college, I had an apartment with some friends and I, I would typically fall asleep watching TV pretty often at night. And as I'd be sleeping on the couch, my roommates would come home and they would grab pillows and stand across the room and start throwing them at my head to see how many pillows it would take to wake me up. That's how hard I sleep. Not only that, but I have very, very, very poor vision. Without my glasses, or my context, you all become a Jackson Pollock painting. I mean, just a beautiful sort of swirl of colors. I cannot see a thing. Now, these two things, my very heavy sleeping and my poor eyesight, were gifts to my wife when we had newborns. 
as you can imagine, as it was my turn at night to like wake up to the sound of the babies crying, uh, to go and change their diaper and then bring them to her, I would be just completely out of it until she would wait, you know, have to hit me for a long time. Jason, get the baby. There's one story that we tell when Cora, our oldest, was first born. We had a bassinet sitting kind of at the, at the foot of our bed in our small apartment in Kentucky. And Cora was crying, and she did a lot. And she was crying away, and Sarah's trying to get me to wake up. You know, and anyway, finally I wake up. I don't put my glasses on. Instead, I walk over across the room, not to the baby, to the clock. And I just like get down like this. And Sarah's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm trying to see what time it is. She's like, it doesn't matter. Get the baby. And then I turn like, where is it? Like, how do I not know? It's a tiny room and she's right there at the foot of her bed. I would like to say that over the years, I learned to listen. That I learned to hear our kids' cries and that I began to respond more helpfully. I can say with great confidence, I'm really great now as they're 13 and 10 and 8 and no longer cry during the night. But I'm really good uh, in the night and helping with them when they need help, which is absolutely zero. But when they were kids, it took me a long time to learn how to hear their cry in the midst of my own sleep and to know how to respond in helpful ways. We're in a series today uh, through the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah and his companion Ezra narrate Judah's return to the land after exile in Babylon and all of their efforts to rebuild life there, to rebuild the altar and the temple, to rebuild their community centered around the following of God's law, the Torah, and ultimately to rebuild the walls, which is what Nehemiah is about, rebuild the walls of the city. The book opens with Nehemiah living in Susa, serving the Persian king as his cupbearer, when a group from Judah arrives and Nehemiah asks them about the state of Jerusalem, and they begin to tell him that the walls and the gates are broken down. This is the first thing that Nehemiah hears in the book. He hears bad news. He hears the reports about what's going on in Jerusalem, and it breaks him. When he hears, he sits down, and he weeps, and he fasts, and he mourns, and he prays. In the midst of that heartbreak, crying out, the Lord actually places it upon his heart to return and to lead the people in rebuilding the walls. This was, though, not an easy task, as we saw last week. As Nehemiah enters the land, he immediately encounters external opposition, people that set themselves against Nehemiah and the rebuilding of the walls. They would rather see Judah and Jerusalem continue in shambles. But that's not the only challenge that Nehemiah faces. We find in Nehemiah chapter 5 is that not only is he facing external opposition, but he has some very real internal challenges that he has to deal with with as a leader in those moments. What happens is is he comes back and he invites the people to come and to rebuild the wall and they heartily agree like, yes, let's do this. Let's rebuild the wall. But those who agreed to help actually had to leave their homes. They had to leave their jobs. They had to leave their fields and their vineyards to come and commit themselves to that work. So you can imagine their yes came actually with great financial cost that they had real skin in the game as far as what it is that they were going to do. And life was actually already difficult in the land at the time. The passage that we read mentions a famine. We're not sure if that was an actual weather-related famine or just the sense because of the state of affairs in the world at that time, they did not have everything that they needed. So in the midst of sort of a scarcity or lack, they committed themselves to this project. But now, as the project is going on, as the days pass, it's becoming impossible for the average family to feed their children and to pay their taxes. That is, this goes on, what they're having to do is mortgage their property in order to pay their bills. They're having to put their property, their fields and their vineyards up as a pledge in order to get resources in return to be able to buy grain. They didn't have credit cards that they could just sort of keep swiping and running up. But what would happen in those interchanges as they were borrowing from other people is that those they were borrowing from would charge exorbitant interest rates, incredibly high, that they couldn't even pay the interest payments 
on what they were borrowing. So they'd borrow, but even that wasn't enough. And families at the time typically lived in multi-generational homes with two, three, four generations all living together, sort of how we do here. Um, No, not as much here. Uh, It's not really the American dream to have three generations all living together in the same house, but this is how they lived. But what would happen is that they would, in these situations, they'd be forced to sell their adult children into debt slavery. They hear, let my adult son, my adult daughter go and work for you until our debt is paid off or until they're released. And all of that heartbreak was made worse by the simple fact that that economic oppression that they were facing was caused by fellow Jews. It wasn't caused by the nations that were surrounding them. This is how they were treating one another. The high-ranking, influential, wealthy people took advantage of others. They profited from their neighbor's hardship. Of course, this never happens in today's world, so we can just sort of like close the text and move forward from there. Okay, so here's what happens for Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter five, verse one, in this setting, there was a great protest from the people. The people, literally, they cried out, them and their wives, against the fellow Jews, against those who were causing this situation. Nehemiah five, verse six says, I was very angry when I heard their cry, when I heard their protest, when I heard these complaints. And after thinking it over, I brought charges against the officials and the officers. And I told them, you are all taking interest from your own people. You are making this worse. And even called for a large assembly in order to deal with them. This is the second thing that Nehemiah hears in this book. He hears the cry of his people. He hears the cry of his neighbor. And when he hears, he is angry. (laughs) And rightly so at all that's going on. This is not just a situation where there's an opportunistic sort of business plan. This is unjust. And this is a very violation of the Torah the laws that were given to govern the people of God in the land. And not only that, but what they're doing is undermining the work of Nehemiah and others who are actively involved in trying to pay the debts of Jews who are in debt slavery around the world or in the other nations. They're going and rescuing people out of that and then finding that their fellow Jews are putting them back into similar economic situations. And so when the people cry out, Nehemiah hears them. His ear is attentive. He hears. And then it says this. It says, after thinking it over, (laughs) the original language says, after my heart was ruled. I love that image. After my heart was settled. After my heart was put back in the right sort of space. How many times when I was angry did I not let my heart be ruled first before I acted out? in a way that actually made the situation worse. Instead, Nehemiah counts to 10, goes for a walk, does whatever he needs to do to sort of calm his heart. And then he confronts the officials. He confronts them about what they're doing and he calls them to repent. But the repentance that he calls them to is not just a way of stopping, which is part of it, and not just a saying, I'm sorry, but actually calling them to undo the wrong that they have done. He calls them to cancel the debts, to return everything that they've taken, and to refund all the profits they made off of interest. And the remarkable thing in this story is that they did. You imagine Nehemiah is the new guy in town, and this is going on, and Nehemiah stands up in front of all of them. He says, okay, this has got to stop. Here's what I want you to do. Undo it all. And they're like, yeah, that seems right. And they go about and they do it. They return fields and vineyards and orchards and homes and interest payments. What happens here is actually what the Old Testament would call a mini jubilee. For those of you who are familiar with the story of the Old Testament, there was a part of Israel's law that said every 50 years that the land that had been given to a family originally by God when they settled in the land had to be returned to that family. That if they fell on economic hardship and their land ended up being owned by somebody else, that every 50 years it would be returned to them to give that family a fresh start. 
to try to stem the tide of generational poverty as a way of saying, okay, all of that happened, but now things are being reset again, and you have a hope and a future. And Nehemiah enacts a mini jubilee here, right in the middle as family land is returned. Can you imagine being on the receiving end of that kind of good news? So you find yourself in a place that you never imagined, and all of a sudden, everything gets set right again. But that's not the only thing that Nehemiah did. Nehemiah chapter five, verse 14 tells us even more of what Nehemiah did in the midst of this situation. He said, in addition from that time that I was appointed to be the governor in the land of Judah. So from the very time I took on this leadership position from the 20th year to the 32nd year of King Artaxerxes for a total of 12 years, neither I nor my family ate from the governor's food allowance. What's he talking about here? He actually gives us a little bit of a picture when he talks about previous governors that those that were set up as governors in the land, what they're commissioned to do is they're supposed to collect tax on behalf of Persia. The people of God are still being ruled by this foreign government. Yes, they're helping them to rebuild, but they still have to pay taxes. And so the governors are supposed to collect all these taxes and get them sent back. But here's the thing that they were allowed to do on top of it. Here's what we need you to collect is what Persia said. If you collect more than that, guess what? You get to keep it and set your own salary, set your own allowance. I think it's a little bit more than the allowance that I give my kids for helping clean on Fridays, right? Probably a bit more. And previous governors padded their pockets in the previous situation. Nehemiah says, I didn't take a thing. I didn't take any of that. People were in that position before and they collected high amounts of money, but that came to the expense of those that they were called to lead and to serve. They made the people's burden heavier. They took what was already a heavy and hard situation and only made it worse. But Nehemiah actually does the opposite. Nehemiah was apparently quite independently wealthy, so he didn't need the salary because we'll see later on the other things that he does, but he willingly and voluntarily forgoes taking advantage of the situation to make himself even more wealthy. As it goes on, Nehemiah 5.16, it says, instead, this is what I did. I devoted myself to the work on the wall and I acquired no land. I didn't take advantage of this situation to try to get more and more. And my servants even, they gathered for the work. I commissioned them onto the wall. And not only that, but there were 150 Jews and officials along with everyone who came to us from the surrounding nations. They gathered around my table and then he fed them. And then it lists this long list of things that he would feed them day in and day out to take care of others. Nehemiah didn't consider his position to entitle him to something. He didn't consider his position made him an exception to everything. Instead, he rolled up his sleeves. He got to work on the wall. He did the very thing he was asking them to do and had all of his servants do the same thing so that this work that they were sacrificing for could go as quickly as possible and they could go back to their regular lives. And he went ahead and he was one lending to people, but doing so without interest and without asking for their property as collateral. And not only that, but he went so far as providing for 150 plus others out of his own resources. He provided them with the food that they needed to continue the work in the midst of their own lack. Why did he do this? Why did Nehemiah lead in this way? He actually gives us a picture in the midst of this passage. Throughout chapter five, we find that he's motivated by one thing. He's motivated by the fear of the Lord. He's motivated by worship. He's motivated by his devotion to his God. His commitment to justice, to service, to generosity, all of these things arise out of his own devotion to God. Early on when he's confronting the nobles and sort of coming at them for the way that they're treating others, he appears, he appeals to the, fe the fear of the Lord. He says, so I continue. He said, what you're doing, it's not good. Stop it. Why don't you walk 
in the fear of the Lord. If you walked in the fear of the Lord, you would not treat your brother, your sister, your neighbor, your fellow countrymen this way. Why don't you walk in the fear of the Lord? When he was actually contrasting himself with the previous administration, he insists that he was motivated by the fear of the Lord. He says, because I was God-fearing, because I feared God, I didn't behave like the other governors. I didn't take advantage of the situation of other people. I did everything I could to ease the burden on others rather than profiting myself. And at the end of the chapter, we find that Nehemiah is not motivated in the midst of these moments by a sense of renown. He's not looking for the praise of people. Instead, his great prayer at the end of the chapter is to be remembered by God. He just simply wants to be remembered by the God that he loves and serves. He says, remember in my favor, God, all that I've done for these people. His commitment to justice, to generosity, to sacrifice, to service, to taking care of others, all of that rises up for him out of worship. It all rises up for him out of the fear of the Lord. See, we oftentimes try to separate things that the scriptures hold together. Namely, we try to separate righteousness from justice. We say, oh, actually, these things don't have anything to do with one another. Or devotion to God and care for the poor. Or care for those in difficult places in life. We're like, no, 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 those things are not the same. But in the scriptures, over and over and over again, our commitment to the love of God leads us into the love of neighbor, leads us to the love of others. It's not one or the other in the scriptures. It is always both. And so once again, Nehemiah sets an example for us, sets a way of living that we see fully commit, we see fully fleshed out in the very life of Jesus. But we see a picture here of Nehemiah that sets before us a way of living as the people of God. That out of our own fear of the Lord, out of our own devotion to Jesus, may these things be true about us. First, may we be people who hear others. Friends, our culture, our world has lost the ability to listen. It's lost the ability to sit with others who are different from us, who see things different than us, who think different from us, who have different lives than us. We've lost the ability to sit and to really listen to one another. We've lost the ability to hear heartache and pain and cries and tears and stories. Instead, we're just engaged in a constant war of words. The scriptures call us to be the kind of people that can hear the cries of others. And that begins here. For Nehemiah, it began with hearing the cry of his own congregation, hearing the cry of the people that he was in the yoke with. It begins with us being able to hear one another's cries. Because we can't learn to hear one another's cries here in our own church. How will we ever really hear the cries of our city and our world? My hope is that New Life Downtown will be a community in which we can all learn to listen. We can all learn to grow in our ability to hear the cries of others. That it would be the Spirit of God that would actually train our ears to hear and our eyes to see those who need to be seen and heard. As we gather together before prayer, or for prayer before every service with those that are volunteering at the 9 a.m., We close that time with just a reminder, a prayer, an an ask from the Lord that Jesus would give us eyes to see and ears to hear those who need to be seen and heard today. Because we're all coming in with things that we're like, does anybody see me? Does anybody hear me? Does anybody know me? That's the cry that we're coming into church with. And as a people, we're called to come alongside one another to see and to hear I encourage folks often to say on Sunday morning, make it your goal to meet one new person and to pray for one person. Not just to say, yes, I'll pray for you sometime later in the week, but to actually grab their hands, place a hand on their shoulder to look them in the eye and say, I hear what's going on. Let me pray for you. May we be that kind of church 
that during the midst of the service, we're sort of looking around and saying, okay, that person's new. I haven't met them yet. I want to go and meet them. And then maybe we actually invite them to come and sit with us and we introduce them to others or we take them out to a meal afterwards or we come a place where actually our ears become tuned and our eyes become fixed on those who might be hurting in our midst. And we say, hey, come, let me hear your story. Let me pray for you. And then in that process, my hope is that New Life Downtown will be a safe place for you to cry out. That you would feel the safety of the people of God and be willing to share honestly, to ask for help, and to know that you can expect compassionate care in return. When we learn to do that for one another, then all of a sudden we become strengthened to go and listen to the cries of our community and the cries of our world in a way that can make a difference in the place that we live. The second thing, may we be a people who restore others. Nehemiah was about the work of restoration. One of the unique things I think has been true about New Life Downtown throughout our 10 years of existence is that this has been a community in which people's faith has been restored. And those who had questions or concerns that had they'd grown up with or they encountered somewhere in culture, like, I'm not sure how this relates to Jesus and I'm having a hard time kind of sorting things out, that New Life Downtown has been a safe place through Alpha and Mill Groups and others to say, raise those questions, ask those things, and let's talk about the person of Jesus and finding people's faith restored, finding people being able to trust the church again in the midst of their church hurt and pain. We've always been called as the people of God to ministry of restoration. Sometimes that means that we have to repent, make things right that we've made wrong and say, you know what? That was wrong. What can I do to actually make this right again? Sometimes it means that we have to stand up and confront those who are unjustly treating other people. We have to speak the truth into those situations. Sometimes it means we extend mercy to people who find themselves in really difficult places through things like our partnership with Care Portal, where we can come alongside families and people in deep need and say, okay, let's extend mercy to you here in the midst of, your, of the pain that you're experiencing. Sometimes that means coming alongside to aid someone in the midst of difficulty and darkness that they're walking through, whether that's through Celebrate Recovery, where we help come alongside one another in our hurts and habits and hangups, or it's our partnership with Springs Rescue Mission or Royal Family Kids or Safe Families. Or sometimes it's preventing bad things from happening by coming in and saying, okay, we start to see where this is going. How can we come around with wraparound loving care for people? But it always means the people of God working together to restore the broken worlds. In our day, it'll probably mean thinking creatively and prayerfully about affordable housing and about food insecurity and about education challenges, about healthcare access, all the things that our world and our city are crying out for. But when we meet, may we always be people who are engaged in those conversations, wanting to help bring restoration. And may we be those who are willing to sacrifice for others. Nehemiah is marked by a particular kind of sacrifice, by a way of giving in the way that he led. May our lives always be marked more by giving than by taking. May we as a community, as a people, always be willing to relinquish things that we feel entitled to in order to serve other people who have desperate needs, who find themselves at the very edges of life. May we give generously of our time and our resources to provide for others. And as we do so, may we actually become as God is. May we actually be people that actually put on display what God is like. We don't do this on our own. This is obviously something that the Spirit of God does in us and through us. So we never take God's place. And yet we're called to put God on display for the world. So may we become as God is. After all, we know it's God who hears our cries. That's who God is. God is the God who listens to the cries of his people. Exodus chapter 3 says, Then the Lord said, I have clearly seen my people oppressed in Egypt and I have heard their cry of injustice because of their slave masters and I know all about their pain. 
That phrase, I have heard their cry, is the same phrase that we find in Nehemiah. Nehemiah heard their cry. Why could Nehemiah hear the cry of others? Because he knows the God who hears his cry, friends. God hears your cry today. Wherever you find yourself, whatever you're crying out inside and wondering, does anybody hear? God hears. And I hope that we will have ears to hear your cry as well. After all, we know it's the God who hears our cries. And it's also the God who restores us. Nehemiah enacts this mini momentary jubilee in the midst of a hard situation. But Jesus comes to enact a permanent one, an eternal one, to restore us all. In that moment, he goes into the synagogue and he opens that scroll and he reads from Isaiah and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord's anointed me. Anointed you for what? To preach good news to the poor to proclaim release to the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to proclaim jubilee, the return, the making of all things right and good and perfect and beautiful and lovely again. Jesus comes to restore us and then invites us into a ministry of restoration. And God is also the one who sacrifices himself for us. Nehemiah sacrifices his resources. He sacrifices financially. He sacrifices his time building the wall. But Jesus sacrifices everything. He gives his whole life for us. This is how we know love, 1 John says. This is how we know love. That Jesus laid down his life for us, that he laid it down for us, the God who sacrifices everything. Would you close your eyes this morning as we prepare to come to the table? We just want to take a moment to invite the Spirit of God to settle something on your heart. When we gather, we hear a lot of words that we sing, that we pray, that we read from Scripture. But the invitation as we come to the table is to ask the Spirit to impress upon us one thing. What did you need me to hear today? Maybe you just needed to hear that God hears your cry. That God sees you, that God loves you, that God sacrifices for you. Or maybe you heard an invitation of God to pray, Lord, help me to hear. Help me to commit myself to restoration. Help me to be willing to sacrifice for others. Just ask him to solidify that on your heart, whatever it is that the Spirit is speaking to you today. As we turn our attention to the table and the visual image of the God who loves us and gave himself for us. Every week we are reminded by the person leading us in our liturgy that, that this is Jesus's table. That's how we know that it's a safe place to come to. That there's something being offered us here that is unlike any generosity that has ever been offered before. Even this generosity that we hear of in a leader like Nehemiah was but a fraction. It was, it was like a foretaste of the generosity to come. So I wanna remind you again, this is Jesus's table. All who believe in Jesus as the true king of the world are welcome to receive, regardless of your church background or your affiliation. This, this table is open to you. And if you don't yet believe that, thank you for coming. Thank you for being here this morning. And we encourage you to, to keep coming to keep asking questions about this Jesus. However, if you are ready to believe in Jesus and follow his teachings, maybe today you're more ready than you've ever found yourself in the past, then we invite you to, to join us in our prayer of confession today, which is a way of opening ourselves to the generosity of God, asking for forgiveness and placing our trust in him again. Will you pray this with me? Most merciful God, 
we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. And we are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. It is my joy this morning to announce good news to you. Words that are true, not because I'm saying them, but because of what God has done. So I invite you to open your hands in a posture of receiving. Receive again the mercy of God with these words. Jesus died for us while we were still against him, while we were still sinners. And this proves God's love for us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. The peace of the Lord be with you. As those who have been raised to new life with Jesus, please stand to greet those around you and to share the peace of Christ with one another. As we come back together, you can follow the liturgy on the screen. Jesus is here. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and good and a joyful thing to give thanks to you, Father Almighty. You formed us in your image and you breathed your life into us as we sang in the songs earlier. And then when our love failed, your love remained steadfast. When we were unfaithful, you sent your son to be faithful on our behalf. On the very night that Jesus was giving himself to be betrayed, to be sold, to suffer, he was having the Passover meal with his friends. And at one point in the meal, he took the bread and after he had given thanks and blessed it, he broke it and then he offered it to his disciples. And he said, take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup of wine and after he had given thanks, he gave it to them and he said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink this, do this for the remembrance of me. See, he was telling them what he was offering them. Just as Nehemiah told the Lord, this is what I did for you. Jesus said, I'm doing this for you. Remember me. And so Jesus in remembrance of your mighty acts, we proclaim this mystery of our faith, faith, that Christ has died and Christ is risen and Christ will come again. All of us who are in Christ are part of the priesthood of believers. So I invite you to stretch your hands out with me and, and bless these elements. God, pour out your Holy Spirit here on us. And on these gifts of bread and wine, make them be for us the body and the blood of Christ, that we could be for the world, the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your spirit, make us one with Jesus and one with each other and one in ministry to all the world until you come back to us in final victory. Amen. I'm gonna invite the servers up now. Friends, these are the gifts of God. They are given for us in mercy and in generosity. I invite you as you're receiving them to remember that Jesus died for you 
and to feed on him in your hearts with faith and with thanksgiving. In just a moment, we're gonna come forward and receive, and this is how this is gonna work. You're gonna come out the left front of your section, um, and, and if you're in the balcony, you can come down and join this section here. There should be some elements um, at the opening of the balcony. If you're unable to come forward, please uh, feel free to ask someone around you to bring you back some elements. We have some prepackaged ones if you prefer. If you're not receiving, just go ahead and come forward just so no one trips over you in the rows, but then you can just walk right by the servers and back to your seat. But if you are receiving, come with your hands open like this, and our first server will place a napkin in your hands, and the other servers will take a gluten-free cracker. They're gonna dip it in the cup of non-alcoholic wine and offer it to you. You can receive it right there, or you can take it back to your seat and pray with those around you. If you need some prepackaged elements, just ask the server. And there are gonna be two stations in the front here, so please alternate just to make those go more smoothly. And after everyone has received, we'll have some prayer teams up here. So if you came in needing prayer, longing for prayer, or something uh, during the worship service today has prompted that desire in you, please feel free to ask for prayer at the end of the service. As we come, let's worship together at the table. Praise for 
doxology together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you and fill you with peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Everybody said, amen. Have a great week, New Life Downtown. We'll see you around the city and back here next Sunday. God bless.